now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane, here with you on this Overreaction Wednesday, the Overreaction Monday version of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast, here with Rich Hill. Patriots Texans in the books, unlike last year. Pats are 1-0, off to a great start on the season. Kind of a weird league around, kind of a weird year already. It's only been one week, and the NFL is already a total mess, in my opinion. Rich Hill, how much football did you watch this weekend, and how confident are you so far in what you've seen? Oh, so I have to say, I've watched the Patriots game. I watched highlights here and there of some of the other teams, but I, just by looking at absolutely nothing, I can give you the most concrete, perfect understanding of what is going on in the NFL. I don't even need to watch the tape to let you know exactly what is happening around this league, because let me tell you, week one is for overreactions. Alec, it is. there's nothing that you can really learn from week one other than potential depth chart options, and that's what we learned with the Patriots. But when it all comes down to it, is this Patriots team that we saw in week one going to be anything like the Patriots team we see even in like week five when Julian Edelman returns? No way. Not even close. Yeah, not even close. And so I think this is the perfect opportunity for us to look around the results from week one and give our perfectly realistic overreactions. Well, I'm not going to give you an overreaction. I'm going to tell you the only thing I can tell you with absolute certainty from week one, Rich Hill, and that is that Ryan Fitzpatrick has done it again. (laughs) He has stepped in in relief duty, lit it up, dominated, and gotten himself a massive contract somewhere else before he started sucking again. That was the game of the week, in my opinion. Buccaneers Saints, 48-40, to 88 combined points on a quarterback who was basically on the bench. Jermaine Wilson was, was Uber driver? Is that what he's out for? I don't remember anymore. Whatever it was, that was absolutely nuts. Jimmy Garoppolo threw three interceptions. The Bills got shellacked by the Ravens. Sam Darnold threw a pick six, then was lights out. I don't even know where to start around the league. Where do you want to start in this, this crazy week one that was in the NFL? I think the best place to start is within the AFC East. And right. the absolute shellacking of the Buffalo Bills. The Baltimore oh. Ravens crushed them 47-3. to And I want to start with this particularly because I, one of my very good friends is a ginormous Buffalo Bills fan. He was very, very excited about his team. And... I just, I just want to say, you know, Alexander, this one's for you. Uh, <laughs> Alec, are the Bills the worst team in the NFL? Well, here's what I know. I didn't see all of the game, but I do know for a fact that there was a point in this game where Nathan Peterman's quarterback rating improved because he threw an interception, uh, threw, a, <laughs> threw an incompletion and not a pick. There's a point where the fact that he threw an incompletion jumped his quarterback rating up. He's just not an NFL starter. The good news is for Buffalo is it's only week one, long season ahead of you, and you have a quarterback who you drafted highly. There's no reason not to start him anymore. And maybe this was a fluke. You kind of just chalk it up to the O-line with Eric Wood being out, Incognito being a nut job, and just kind of figure your stuff out. But there's just – it's very difficult to get beat 47-3 to in the first week of the season and have any level of confidence in your ability going forward, especially when the Patriots looked good, the Dolphins won, and the Jets are now 
in the overreaction theme of things, a complete Super Bowl contender. Yeah, absolutely. And my, my favorite fact from this Bills game is not just the fact that Nathan Peterman has a 0.0 passer rating. It's the fact that Joe Flacco, with 25 completions, has more completions than Nathan Peterman had yards. Nathan Peterman <laughs> threw for 24 yards. Flacco had 25 completions. That is just impossible. This Bills team, I was really high on them. Maybe not necessarily on offense because I didn't like the selection of Josh Allen. I want the guy to succeed. Nothing against him personally. I just thought that it was an over-selection and it puts him in a difficult situation because A, he doesn't deal well with pressure. B, the Bills don't have an offensive line. C, that's a terrible combination. And I liked the Bills' defense. I just... When you give up 47 points to Joe freaking Flacco and it's not the playoffs, that's a sign that your team is just not in a good situation. I don't know where they rebound from here. Maybe it's a fluke. I have no idea. I would expect the Bills to be one of the worst teams in the league for the rest of the season. I don't expect them to be 47-3 to bad, but I do believe that they are one of the bottom five teams in the league. I, you, at this point, you know, based on what you have to go by, there's really no reason not to think that. They play the Chargers, I believe, next week. The Chargers also are one of those teams that just can't seem to get out of their own way. I feel like both teams, Los Angeles and Buffalo, will know a not, lot more about their their fate going forward uh, based on next week. But, yeah, Buffalo Bills get the, the anti-game ball of the week uh, for, for week one. Uh, how about those Jets, though, Rich? I mean, Sam Darnold started in the most Jets way possible throwing a pick six with his first ever NFL attempt, but then really settled down and dominated our boy Matt Patricia's Lions team. Wasn't even close. Are the Jets for real? I have no idea. Again, as always, it's week one, but I have to say maybe, right? <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I enjoyed all of the roster moves that they've made. Sam Darnold, he doesn't have to be a great player. If he, he can give them a 2009-2010 Mark Sanchez sort of performance. That could be good enough in a very weak AFC to get them into the wild card spot. I'm not expecting them to make it to the AFC Championship or be a major contender, but Isaiah Crowell, 102 rushing yards on 10 attempts, two touchdowns. That's very solid production. I've always liked Bilal Powell. He had 12 carries, 60 yards, and he added in uh, you know five yards receiving. But Quincy Inunua is back. They have Terrell Pryor, Robbie Anderson. They have a well enough rounded offense that they're not the worst. And then you have a solid enough defense out there. They're very deep in the secondary. They have some quality players at on the defensive line. Uh, Leonard Williams is always going to be one of the best players out there. So pretty excited to see what they have to bring to the table. Again, I never want to see any of these these prospects come into the NFL and fail. Sam Darnold definitely looked better than Josh Allen, in my opinion. That pick six was hideous, though. Throwing across yeah. the body, across the field on your very first play, that was just pure panic. But the fact that he settled in and he did it against a Matt Patricia defense, that's, that's legitimate. And it also gives some cause for concern because if he did it against Patricia... Could he do it against the Patriots in week three? Maybe. Maybe. I, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like Patricia's defense of give up yards at will and stiffen up in the red zone works really well when you have Tom Brady on the offense to make sure they're scoring points, moving the ball, then the field controlling the clock. But Matthew Stafford, as much as I enjoy him as a quarterback, is very inconsistent, and he looked horrible 
on Monday night. And I'm very curious to see if they can bounce back from that. There's already rumors. There's totally fabrication, but who knows? They've already rumors that Patricia's lost a locker room. They don't respect him. Who knows? We're all overreacting. I'm just glad I'm a Patriots fan today because the Patriots did a, I would say, a serviceable job against the Texans this past Sunday. I don't think the game was ever really in doubt. It did not look like the Texans' offense could move the ball at all. It was closer than it should have been due to a Riley McCarron muffed punt. But overall, I think it was a okay showing from the Patriots. Any reaction from the game, Rich, good or bad? Sure, yeah. Let's give a reaction and then an overreaction on both sides of the ball, starting with the offense. With, uh, you know, Jeremy Hill out for the season now with a torn ACL, my base reaction is that I like what Rex Burkhead brings to the table, and I expect him to be a huge part of this offense for the rest of the year. Even they brought in Kendron Barney, Barner. I know that Sony Michelle is eventually going to contribute, but Rex Burkhead had 18 carries for 64 yards, and he chipped in five yards receiving. You look at what Jeremy Hill brought to the table, I have to think that all of those snaps and all that production will go to Burkhead at least for the next three, four weeks until Sony Michel is back up to speed, and that should be enough time for Burkhead to establish himself. With the Patriots needing to find a replacement in the offense for Julian Edelman, I think Burkhead has stepped up as one of those options that you can trust to carry the offense, that you can trust to produce week in and week out, and my base reaction is that he's done a good enough job that you can trust him to do it for the rest of the year. I'm okay with that. You know, again, we're we're kind of talking about what we saw on the field. I think that the running backs showed that they are a major part of this offensive scheme going forward in 2018 based on what we've seen so far. Um, James White is James White. Rex Burkhead is Rex Burkhead. I'm very curious to see what Sony Michelle can and will bring to the table. I think Jeremy Hill might be a bigger loss than I initially thought on, on retrospect. He had a really solid showing. I think he was averaging like eight yards a, a catch or carry, which is a really – and plus special teams contributions. But hopefully Sony Michelle will be able to come in and pick up the slack there. Uh, but the running backs, I don't really want to talk about them right now, Rich. My concern right now, even though they brought in a receiver earlier today – the only receiver on the Patriots roster who had more than one catch was Philip Dorsett. Uh, he had a great game, don't get me wrong. Had that touchdown toward the end of the game. He seemed to be on the same page with Tom Brady. But I'm a little worried that there's only one receiver on the Patriots team that had more than one catch, and it was Dorsett. Am I crazy in thinking that? No, there's plenty to be concerned about at that position. Because first off, Chris Hogan did not look very good. He, he was not able to generate any separation Against the Texans' defense, he did not make the most of the opportunities that he had. He drew one defensive holding call, which, you know, that's fine. But on five targets, he had one catch. That is not what you're wanting from the player you're expecting to kind of replace Julian Edelman in your offense. And it's what you were hoping, based off of what he produced last year, he would be able to be a little bit more of a contributor. So I am just hoping that he can find whatever groove he was in in 2016-2017 and replicate that for the next couple of games until Edelman returns. Because, yeah, if Dorsett is the only other receiver that is playing well, and he played very, very well, I'm very excited to see what he has to bring to the table for the rest of the season. If you can only rely on Philip Dorsett and Rob Gronkowski as receivers – 
is your next guy James Devlin? That's the overreaction right there. <laughs> is James Devlin yeah. going to be an actual factor in this Patriots offense? Because if so, we have so many more overreactions that we can say. No, it's true. I mean, obviously, I love James Devlin. I feel like we're all big Devlin fans here at Pat's Pulpit, but he's a fullback. You know, I don't think one of your leading receivers should have a neck roll. That's a good rule. <laughs> I think that's a good rule for life. But again, Brady's great at hitting the open guy. And I guess maybe it's the kind of scenario where he was just hitting the guy that was open and Devlin was the guy because the Texans were not respecting the deep ball at all. They were bracketing the middle of the field where Edelman tends to feast, where Gronkowski tends to feast, where a lot of those crossing routes take place. And since those were areas where were clogged up, he went to whoever was there. But yeah, I mean, I, I as much as I like James Devlin, I just don't want to see him catching four or five passes a game because I think that's just a, a bad sign. However, this is exactly what Patriots fans do. Only in Patriots nations, a 27-20 win in week one cause any kind of concern or consternation. Their paths are going to be fine. They always are. Gronk had 123 catches on seven grabs. He had that fumble, but that's not that big a deal. He'll take care of that. Turnovers was an issue. Overall, I'm not worried. This is a good Texans team. I'm glad the Patriots caught them early because they are going to get better. Deshaun Watson was still very rusty. They were a little sloppy on the transition on the handoffs and the running game. I thought the Patriots defensively did a great job containing Watson, not only as a passer, but they set the edge beautifully. He never really extended the play with his legs. There was no huge gain for him. And despite the fact that the Patriots gave up a lot of yards in the running game in the second half especially, I have to be optimistic about this Patriots defensively and what they brought to the table on Sunday. Oh, absolutely. I, I thought that Stephon Gilmore did a very good job locking down DeAndre Hopkins to the point where they had to move Hopkins away from him in most of the second half in order to kind of get him more involved. And... <laughs> Everyone else, I mean, Eric Rowe did a great job starting opposite of him. I was a little nervous to see what he would do as his first year as a starter, but he really showed that he deserved to be out there. Patrick Chung looked great. Devin McCourty looked great. The entire secondary looked pretty darn good. And you can you just add that with a really strong pass rush, which was non-existent last year. And it kind of gave us a little reminiscent of 2016 where the Patriots were running four deep on that defensive front because Trey Flowers looked really, really good. As always, he looks like he's even better this year than he was years past. And then you have that trio of Keontae Davis, Dietrich Wise, and Adrian Claiborne rotating opposite of him. That's some pretty solid depth. They were doing a good job, as you said, of not letting Watson escape outside the pocket. And they were also generating pressure, which is huge. And that was something that was giving the Patriots a lot of trouble with last year. And so from an entire passing capacity, I think it's a realistic takeaway that the Patriots are going to be pretty good against the pass this year. It seems like it. I mean, they're they're good at all three levels. I liked what I saw from the linebackers. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Dante Hightower was in, mid, in midseason form already. Good to see him back from the injury. Big fan of Jawan Bentley. Thought he had a very solid game. I thought overall the defense was very solid. There was only one, I think, big play of 27 yards or so in terms of passing. I feel like there was a, seri a period in the early part of 2017 where the Patriots gave up at least two 30-yard plays a game. That was limited. Very happy about that. But the question I guess I have, Rich, is how much of this do you think was the Patriots' defense – being at week one, we're all overreacting here. How much of it was the Patriots defense doing their job, shutting down a good Texans offense versus a Texans offense that's still kind of finding its feet and we can't read too much into the performance? 
I think everyone's kind of finding their feet right now a little bit to some extent, right? Because John Harmon after the game was talking about how he felt like there was much stronger communication and connection with Gilmore and the rest of the secondary as this was the second full season they had together. And the proof was in the pudding. They did a really good job. As you said, though, the Patriots were playing a team that, you know, this was Watson's first game back from his torn ACL. That was new. They had a bunch of new faces out there. But, you know, Lamar Miller, Alfred Blue, and DeAndre Hopkins, and even Bruce Ellington, they've all been there. They, they've been a part of their offense. So it's not like they were starting from scratch. That said, I th- the, the, the same sort of excuse can apply to the Patriots. And I'm going to do this hesitantly with the Patriots' run defense because they had some new faces out there with Bentley. They had new faces with Davis. They had new faces with Claiborne and Shelton. There were some new players out on the field for the Patriots in their defensive front, and the Texans had no problem running against them. That was a little too easy for them to generate yardage, and so while the Patriots were bad against the run last year, so there should be cause for concern this year, I am not yet ready to overreact and say that the Patriots' run defense will definitely be a problem in 2018. Let me ask you this, Rich. I don't have any stats in front of me in terms of first half versus second half run defense, but I feel like my gun impression was they were actually very solid against the run in the first half, and they went into the locker room at halftime up 21-6, to and then the second half it kind of started to fall apart. There's a big 31-yard run when they had him pinned back instead, and they kind of marched down the field that way. Do you think there might have been a scenario where Brian Flores was allowing the run to take place, giving up the run, the one we saw against the Broncos a few years back because the lead was so large at that point? Or was it a matter of the Texans adjusting, seeing what the Patriots are doing in terms of their zone blocking schemes and capitalizing on that? What do you think the difference was there? Uh, it could be a mix of both because so that that 31 yard run actually did come in the first half and so Lamar half, yeah right. Lamar Miller averaged 5.5 yards per carry in the first half he finished the day at 4.9 so technically Miller's yards per carry dropped in the second half um, and so I I don't believe that the Patriots copied their game plan against the Broncos and the idea behind that Broncos game was that Peyton Manning and that 2013 offense was just so freaking good that the Patriots could not trust their secondary to go toe-for-toe with them, and by dropping so many players into secondary, into the secondary, that would entice them to run the ball, slow down the clock, and kind of make it a, a quick possession game where you know it, it'll be a lower-scoring affair. Maybe the Patriots can get the ball last, and that'll allow them to win. The Texans aren't that same team, and the Patriots were dedicating a lot of their defensive resources to making sure that Deshaun Watson wouldn't escape out of the pocket. And so there were players at the line of scrimmage that should have been able to prevent the Texans from having any sort of a run game. And what we saw was just a general breakdown. And when I was watching the game, it felt like Houston was taking advantage of running the ball whenever Adam Butler was on the field. And I'll have to look at this over the rest of the week to see if that is true or not. But it seemed like the Texans were playing a matchup game where they were running the ball when they saw a favorable defensive line. The game was never too far out of hand or out of hand to the extent that they had to abandon rushing the ball, right? Because the Texans' defense picked it up in the second half as well. They were generating pressure. As you mentioned at the very start of this podcast, the Patriots only scored six second-half points. And so the Texans never felt like they had to panic and abandon the run. So it was always available for them. The Patriots wanted to make sure they didn't give up one single big home run shot to allow them back into the game. 
but the Texans made the smart adjustment and said, we're just going to pick up five, six yards on the ground at a clip. You mentioned the six points to, to my mentioning six points. That was came in the second half. It was three third quarter points and three fourth quarter points. Usually the Patriots are the best in the NFL at halftime adjustments, seeing what went right in the first half, seeing what went wrong in the first half and adjusting their game plan accordingly. Kind of the opposite this time. They had a really solid first half offensively and kind of fizzled a bit in the second half. Again, we're still in week one, and that obviously needs to be taken into account. But what is it that the Patriots couldn't quite get done in the second half, Rich, that they were doing in the first? And what did the Texans do to combat their their, their, their progress? Yeah, part of it when the Patriots were on offense is the fact that the Texans figured it out a little bit from a pass rush perspective. And that just means that Whitney Merciless, J.J. Watt, and Jadavian Clowney started to get going in the second half, as did D.J. Reader, their big nose tackle. And when they're able to pressure Tom Brady, he has to get rid of the ball, he has to dump it off more quickly, the plays can't develop. And as a result, the Patriots' offense is less explosive, it's not able to be as productive, and they definitely weren't going to be able to, to run the ball with as much success. And with that, the Patriots offense stalled because no other receiver stepped up. They had Philip Dorsett. They had Rob Gronkowski. That was pretty much their entire passing game. But the fact that Chris Hogan never emerged in the second half meant that the Texans, they, they won that chess match in the second half from an offense versus defense perspective. When you look at it from the other side of it, what was happening for the Texans offense that allowed them to get going a little bit more they found a way to spring DeAndre Hopkins away from Stephon Gilmore. And we saw what was like two or three defensive holding calls against Gilmore over the course of the game in his coverage of Hopkins because the Patriots playing super tight man coverage. They were not allowing the receivers to get free. They wanted Deshaun Watson to hold on to the ball so the pressure could get home. And so the Texans made the adjustment by doing more screens. He's getting DeAndre Hopkins the ball with some space of separation. And they just continued to run the ball as well and so it wasn't any serious adjustment and maybe the Patriots would have to do a better job in the future of making counter adjustments but you kind of have to just tip your hat that Hopkins was making plays and the fact that they scored 14 points in the second half is not like a world ending sort of loss for the Patriots defense and the good thing about this, Rich, was like I think I mentioned it in my my fan notes. With the Matt Patricia defense, we kind of knew the philosophy Patricia brought to the table. This was a defense that gave up yards and chunks and stiffened up in the red zone. I felt some overall tone of aggressiveness to this defense. I felt they were getting after the quarterback more. They were setting the edge a lot more effectively. And I just like the overall vibe and philosophy the Patriots gave the Texans on Sunday's game. And hopefully that bodes well for, for going forward because they're a pretty tough opponent in Jacksonville coming up on Sunday. They are at Jacksonville, which would be an interesting matchup because the Jaguars beat the Giants. A pretty bad Giants team, 20-15 to 15 this past Sunday. I'm not sure how much of that game you saw, Rich, but they rushed the ball very effectively, 137 total yards. Uh, Blake Bortles was not that effective. He was 18-33 for 176 yards, a touchdown, and a pick, 40.5 quarterback rating. But with a defense like that and a run game like that, you don't need to be a lights-out quarterback, and Blake Bortles did what he had to do to get the game done. If this Patriots team that showed up against the Houston Texans this past Sunday plays the exact same style, exact same game against Jacksonville this Sunday, will they win the game or do they have to totally adjust their selves? 
That's a good question because part of the big reason for the Patriots' success against the Texans was that red zone defense and the fact that Houston had to continuously settle for field goals. And when you compare how the Patriots could defend the Jaguars versus defend the Texans, which opposing team do you consider to be a bigger red zone threat? In my mind, Houston with Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins and Lamar Miller, I would consider them to be a slightly bigger threat than Leonard Fournette, TJ Yeldon. Uh, they got Killen Cole, D.D. Westbrook. But ultimately, I would say that the, the Texans are a better offense or a more threatening offense. And so at the end of the day, uh, I would expect the Patriots defense to put up a fairly similar performance against the Jaguars. The question in my mind is, will the Patriots offense be able to contend with this Jaguars defense if another wide receiver doesn't step up? And that is my big question that I'll just throw right back to you. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think one of the biggest disappointments for me in the game against the Texans was Cordell Patterson, Cordero Patterson, excuse me, how they used him. He had one catch for six yards. I really figured he'd be a deep threat. They'd, they'd give him at least, you know, a couple of tracks. You know, that one catch he had was on his only target he received. There were no deep shots to him. There were a couple of gadget plays uh, where he they ran him on an on end around or something like that. But I really thought he'd be more of an integral part of the offense. And as we've all seen, Jalen Ramsey's been talking quite a bit this offseason about the quality of Rob Gronkowski's play. Uh, Ramsey may be matched up on Gronk. It'd be fun to watch that. But Gronkowski, if he does get marked out of the game in some capacity, that means somebody has to step up elsewhere. And Dorsett, again, I, I liked what I saw from him. Seven grab, 66 yards and a touchdown. Good for him. But I'm not ready to give him the, the, the keys to the kingdom yet by any stretch of the imagination. And Hogan is not a number one receiver. You and I have talked with this ad nauseum throughout the offseason. So I'm really hoping that Cordell or Patterson will be the guy to incorporate into the offense more and be more than the gadget receiver. Because I feel like the Patriots brought him in as Belichick said, to be the receiver that they thought he could be in the NFL. And I did not see that on Sunday. So hopefully he'll be the guy on Sunday if the Jaguars step it up. Yeah, that would be super important too because the Patriots won't be allowed to rely so heavily on their running backs as receivers because both Miles Jack and Telvin Smith, the Jaguars linebackers, are much better in coverage than Bernardrick McKinney of the, the Houston Texans. And so that won't be available as frequently as an outlet for Tom Brady. And as you said, Patterson wasn't as much of part of the offense as I thought he should have been either. I, maybe we should have suspected that when he was playing super late into the preseason, that he still had a long way to go. But he and Riley McCarron played almost the same number of snaps on offense, and Riley McCarron is no longer with the team. So I don't know <laughs> how uh, assured Patterson is in his place in the Patriots offense in my mind he should be able to take on the snaps that McCarron will no longer be using because I, I have a hard time expecting Corey Coleman uh, to and Benny Fowler and Ken John Barner to be a big part of this Patriots offense so quickly especially against a team like the Jaguars and so we also saw that Patterson received a touch opportunity on 25% of his snaps. You know, he had three rushes and one target. He was on the field for 16 snaps. If he boosts the number of snaps he's on the field, maybe he'll be more productive. Maybe he is a player that just needs to have more opportunities to eventually hit that home run. 
I expect him to get more targets. He needs to get more targets because the Patriots have to do something. I know you, you mentioned that if, if Jalen Ramsey is going to be covering Rob Gronkowski, that leaves A.J. Bouye to just completely lock out Chris Hogan. And I would expect neither Rob Gronkowski or Chris Hogan to be overly productive with those sorts of matchups. And that leaves Philip Dorsett with a potential, uh, potential winning matchup, maybe. But it should come down to that fourth player on that Patriots offense to be spectacularly productive. Maybe Jacob Hollister will be healthy enough to return. Uh, We'll have to wait and see about that. But someone else has to step up for the Patriots offense. And, Rich, you don't think it will be Corey Coleman, who they just brought in from the Cleveland Browns, and they traded him for like a seventh-round 2020 pick after a very disappointing, spectacular hard-knock performance for HBO, uh, disappointing (laughs) NFL campaign. Classic Belichick move, former first-round pick, couldn't quite perform with his previous teams, potential career revival. My concern with, with Corey Coleman is there are a there there is a laundry list of receivers who came into the Patriots later on in the year post preseason who never quite grasped the offense. So what would you say your floor and ceiling for Coleman is in the Patriots offense in twenty eighteen? Yeah, I, I would expect him to have a similar sort of projection as Philip Dorsett because you look at what Coleman was able to produce in that Cleveland Browns offense and what he wasn't able to do with the the Buffalo Bills, surely. Uh, but with the, the Colts, Dorsett was reasonably productive. He had 750 receiving yards uh, over two seasons. Corey Coleman wasn't as productive with the Browns, but he, he still had over 500 receiving yards. And so... I would expect him to have a similar trajectory with his first year with the Patriots as Dorsett did. Or actually, Coleman had 720 receiving yards. Forgive me on that one. So they are roughly the same. Uh, but Dorsett came to the Patriots. He had 200 yards in his first season. He was acquired in that Jacoby Brissett trade right before the start of the year. I would expect Coleman to have a similar sort of expectation Maybe we should say where if Coleman comes out and brings 200 yards and a touchdown to the table over the course of the entire season, that's fine. That's a good baseline. Anything more than that, and he's exceeding my expectations. Anything below, and it wasn't uh, wasn't a very valuable signing. But again, there's zero financial risk here. The, the benefit is that Corey Coleman spent a few weeks with the Buffalo Bills, whose offensive coordinator is Brian Dable, who is running a very similar offense to what the Patriots had. The concern is that Coleman was cut because he wasn't able to pick up that offense. So we'll have to see how this all plays out. He's uber-talented, uber-athletic. He's a very, very solid player when he's able to have his skill set highlighted. I'm just not holding my breath for him to be a superstar in New England. Me neither, man. And I have completely given up any little hope I had on Des Bryant. I don't see that happening anytime soon. People are still chirping about Des Bryant being brought to New England. Des Bryant is campaigning very hard for both New England and Washington. He thinks lining up across from Hogan and Edelman and Gronkowski gets one-on-ones. I just don't see it ever happening. If they were going to bring him in, they'd have brought him in by now. Do you agree? Oh, totally, totally. And I personally would expect him to be a really solid player with the Patriots, but the team is just set on not adding him. That's the way it is at this point. If, if you're adding Chad Hansen and Benny Fowler over, over Des Bryant, it's not going to ever happen. Des Bryant is not coming to New England. I would be stunned if it happened at any other point in this year. I just don't know where Des Bryant's going to end up. No, I'm with you. And it's funny because 
you don't think about the first three to four weeks of the season having that much impact on the year as a whole. But if you look at this game against the Texans in a very interesting AFC South and a game against the Jaguars coming up, both of these games could have very serious playoff implications come late December. So hopefully the Patriots keep this momentum going, keep this winning going, and if they can beat the Jacksonville Jaguars at Jacksonville in that 425 late game, I think that'll set them up very nicely for the first quarter of the season. Oh, absolutely, and there'll be a lot more to break down on this game on patspulpit.com. I'm super excited to see how this game plays out, especially because it's an AFC Championship game rematch. The Jaguars are definitely going to bring it. They'll be on their home turf this time. Uh, we'll, we'll have our pregame show next week. Alec, do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? Yeah, I will say, buddy, as far as overreactions go, I think you and I did a pretty good job reining it in, so good for us. Oh, yeah, one more overreaction. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are absolutely atrocious, and their team is going to go 0-16. <laughs> is that uh, fair? <laughs> I mean, c- c- can there possibly be a more Cleveland way to break your losing streak than with a tie in week one? There, there were so many great graphics that oh. came from this. For those that are unaware, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns tied 21-21 in the season opener. It's just not a good game. Both teams missed field goals in overtime, but the graphics were just mwah, chef's kiss. So good. The Cleveland Browns are 0-0-1. I'll have you know. They, they've won one game since the start of the 2016 season, but there's graphics going around that the NFL was pushing that at 0-0-1, this is the best start for the Cleveland Browns since 2004. And the fact that they hadn't won a game since 2004 to start the season is just signifies how terrible the Browns are. And additionally, I don't know if you saw this, if you have the NFL app on your phone, they bold the team that wins the game just so you can just do a quick glance and figure it out. Again, this game was a tie. The NFL bolded the Browns. They're, they're treating this like they won the Super Bowl, and I couldn't be happier about it. Never take your Patriots fandom for granted, people. We could be in Cleveland right now. <laughs> never forget. Uh, it's so true, and hopefully we'll, we'll never, ever get there. Um, but, yeah, Alec, ready to break down the, the Jaguars with you. Super excited for that to happen. Until next time, you have a good one. You too, buddy. See you. Later, man. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. 
Check it out. And if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.